Amen. Thank you, Cass. If you haven't yet turned to John 16 yet, I want to encourage you to do so. It's a great text to follow along in uh, your copy of God's Word or the one that is uh, there in front of you or under your chair. Uh, this passage really wrapping up uh, Jesus' discourse, his final words to his disciples before he then turns heavenward and begins speaking to his Father on their behalf. And so all that he's told them in John 13 through 16, he's then going to look to the Father and ask for the Father's help, even as Jesus encourages us to do that very same thing uh, in our passage. But one of the things that this passage really highlights is the aspect of, of waiting. Of waiting, as you may have heard repeated over and over, a little while, a little while, and this would come about. And none of us like waiting, whether it's Christmas or birthdays, uh, we're waiting for something to happen, uh, maybe get to go on a vacation, uh, and then while you're on vacation, your kids, you know, say, how much longer until we can stop to go to the bathroom? And you, you know, say what Jesus said, a little while. And that's, that answer of a little while is just so frustrating, right? Uh, it, you would rather have an exact amount of time, exact amount of miles, or something like that to be able to measure this on. But when, when your parents or when someone in your life as when Jesus said it here in this passage, a little while, that all of a sudden was confusing. How long is that? What does that mean? It was frustrating uh, to them then. But there was an aspect of waiting that the disciples had to uh, persevere in until everything that Jesus had been saying uh, would become a reality. Just previously, Jesus has said, that he was going away and there was fear and sorrow in their hearts. And he said, don't be fearful. Don't be sorrowful. Take heart. Um, he was going to send them a helper, but they had to wait. The same is true in this passage as Jesus gives them more realities, more advantages, more benefits of what's going to come from um, the result of what would happen the next day and three days later, the cross and the resurrection. But they were going to have to wait for it. Um, but what we need to understand is that while they had to wait for those gospel realities a little while, uh, or as our text will say, in that day or on that hour, while they had to wait a little while, uh, we need to realize that on this side of the cross, those are realities for us now. There's no waiting that we have to wait until we get our life right and we begin doing a lot of good things and then these will be our reality. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven for these things that um, Jesus is talking about. Joy, clarity, peace. Those, those are not things that only come in the new heavens and, and the new earth. These are gospel realities for us now who have believed. And they, are real, they could be realities for you. If you've yet to re uh, repent of your sins and believe in Christ, they could be your reality today if you would only trust Him. 
and begin following him, you would find that, that these things are yours. While the disciples had to wait a little while, you don't have to wait. Christ has come, he has lived, he has died, he has been raised, he has ascended to the throne, and he offers us these realities now, these gospel realities now. And so what do I mean when I say gospel reality? Uh, William Tyndale, that great English translator, defined the gospel as the good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance uh, with joy. And that's true. That is the result of the gospel. But what, what really is the gospel in essence? Gospel is, is a word that literally means good news. What is the good news that makes our hearts leap with joy and sing and dance? It is simply that Jesus died and rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins. That's the good news in, in a nutshell. That's what Jesus is really pointing to in this passage. That's what he's talking about when he says, a little while uh, you will not see me. And then a little while you'll see me again. He's speaking about the cross when he will die and be buried and they will not see him. And then a little bit later, three days later, he will rise and they will see him again. Jesus is speaking about the cross and the resurrection, the gospel, and, and the effect of the gospel on our lives. And what I want us to remember when we leave today is that you don't have to wait for the good news. You don't have to wait for the gospel realities. They can be yours now. The truth and the effect of the gospel are ours now through faith in Jesus Christ. The truth and the effect of the gospel are ours now through faith in Jesus Christ. And so while you may be in the midst of sorrow or confusion or in the midst of lacking in this life, um, through faith in Jesus, in His death on the cross and His resurrection, Jesus says that the result of that is joy and clarity and plenty in Him. And so we need to allow that gospel truth of Jesus' death and resurrection to take effect in our life. And we need that gospel doctrine to take uh, a root in our hearts and produce a, a gospel life and a gospel culture in, in our church. And I think that's what Jesus gets at. And so we're going to have several realities pulled out of the text for us. But at the end of our time together in the Word, we're going to have an opportunity to remember the gospel, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus as we, as Christians, will eat a piece of bread and drink a cup of juice in remembrance of Jesus' death and giving up of His body and shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins as a, as a way for us to, to worship. And so uh, I, I'm hopeful for a fruitful uh, time in the Word this morning. So if you're taking notes, maybe you've already written 
uh, a, a few already, but I want you to note four um, gospel realities that are ours now. And the first one is this, that the gospel turns sorrow for sin into fullness of joy. The gospel turns sorrow for sin into fullness of joy. You probably heard as Cassidy was reading it, the repetition of that little while in uh, our text this morning. Jesus starts with a declaration in verse 16 where He, having just said that He would send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would Uh, be to their advantage, convicting of sin, convicting of righteousness, convicting of judgment, but also guiding them in the truth. There were advantages of the Holy Spirit. Um, And Jesus makes this final declaration uh, to them in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. And as I just mentioned Uh, a minute ago, for those of us 2,000 years, uh, living 2,000 years after the cross and the resurrection, it's it's a little bit easier, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to realize what He's talking about there, the the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. But to them then, that evening in the upper room, they're confused. They're like, what are you talking about? A little while. You've been saying, I have to go away. Now you're talking about a little while you're going away, but then you're coming back. What are you, what are you talking about? And we see that in verse 17 with, after Jesus' declaration, there's this in, interrogation really in their minds about Jesus. And so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to one another, Uh, What is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they're questioning what Jesus is meaning by that statement. But this doesn't catch Jesus off guard. Jesus, uh, in verse 18, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what He is talking about, but in verse 19, Jesus knew. He knew that they wanted to ask Him. So He said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see Me? And again a little while and you will see Me? It's it's a funny story in in the fact that John is repeating himself over and over and over when he could have just said, this is what Jesus said. The disciples didn't really know what it meant, and so Jesus knew that they didn't know what he meant, so he explained it to them. But John goes to extreme lengths of repeating little while, little while, little while, little while, little while, that we might see that what was Uh, a little while for them is a reality for us now on this side of the cross. Jesus um, begins explaining it a bit in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Speaking of the little while 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 they would not see Him. Again, speaking of His crucifixion. And it would, that would happen at Jesus' crucifixion. 
Um, the disciples, after being scattered uh, in their fear, they would begin to gather back around, and there would be sorrow and lament at the fact that Jesus had been crucified. And so Jesus tells them that. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the, the world will rejoice. And so around the cross, you have those who believed in Jesus sorrowful and lamenting the death of Jesus, watching Jesus suffocate in agony on the cross while Roman soldiers and um, Jewish religious authorities were celebrating it, thinking that they had won at that point. Even Satan and um, the, the, his spiritual army thinking that they had won at that point. But Jesus continues, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus is explaining that it would be, their sorrow would be short-lived a little while, just a little while until everything that God and the Son had planned before the foundation of the world would come to reality. Their sorrow would be turned into joy when Jesus would be raised from the dead. So he not only explains it, but he gives an illustration of it in verse 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has, has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. This Jesus gives an illustration that mothers, uh, every mother has understood since the beginning of time. Uh, mothers better than the rest of us. Though the, those of us who are fathers, who were witnesses, we were a second. We were second. We were close in that. We, we, we were groaning and moaning with you. We understand a little bit of the pain, but we witnessed it. And we know this to be true in, uh, in life, mothers especially. Um, but this is not, this wasn't the way it was always to be. Um, though this is an illustration that everyone in their generation would have known and everyone in our generation still knows, this illustration goes back to Genesis 3. Because wasn't it the result of sin that brought about the curse of pain in childbearing? And so what, what Jesus is, is trying to highlight, not only is, is the illustration supposed to teach us that yes, there's pain for a pregnant woman for a little while, but once the baby has come, there's joy and she's, she'll forget that pain um, for a while. It also goes back to show us that, that the little while that Jesus is referencing really finds its root in the sin in the garden at the very beginning. For it was Jesus who had to come and die for the sin of Adam and Eve and die for the sin that continued to happen over and over and over. And that, that there should be a sorrow for sin. There ought to be a sorrow for our own sin when we think about the little while while Jesus hung on the cross and was buried in the tomb. There ought to be sorrow for our sin. Um, Jesus even says in the Sermon on the Mount, as he begins the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn, 
Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall see God. There, there ought to be a conviction of sin that Jesus promised would come from the Holy Spirit. There ought to be a sorrow for our sin. For the disciples, there was a sorrow because their leader, Jesus, was being crucified on the cross, but even in a greater sense, a sorrow that it was their sin that sent Him to the cross. But if they would wait a little while, that sorrow would turn to joy. And for those of us who are sorrowful for our sin, we too have that promise of joy, knowing that our sin can be forgiven by, um, by Christ, who not only died on the cross, but He rose from the dead. And so that sorrow resulting in, in turning to joy is what Jesus is, is getting there. In verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that is what they did. When Jesus began appearing to the disciples, to the women in the garden and to the disciples in the upper room, there was great rejoicing. And there would continue to be great rejoicing. That's one of the reasons why when you continue to read through the New Testament, rejoicing and joy is a characteristic of the the church throughout the book of Acts. There is a a, a joy because of the good news of Jesus that they had. He didn't stay dead in the tomb. He rose from the dead. And Jesus says that if you have sorrow for your sin in this life, what they had to wait a little while for, you right here, right now, through repenting of your sin, trusting Christ can have the, the joy of forgiveness of sins, the joy of eternal life, um, given to you from Jesus who died and rose from the dead. And so we have much to be thankful for that though they had to wait a little while, this is a reality for us even right now. And so we can be encouraged by some of these New Testament writers like Peter um, who spoke about this joy that we would have uh, even those who had never, who never saw Christ like the apostles did. They didn't watch Him crucified. They didn't watch, watch Him be buried. They didn't watch Him be resurrected. Uh, yet they still believed in Him. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter writes, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Paul would go on to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8-10, through 10, that it is the, the position of Christians that we would be uh, sorrowful yet always rejoicing in verse 10. Um, or Romans chapter 5, verse 3, where Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. And so for those of us who are Christians, there may be times of sorrow. Maybe in the the aspect of even being pregnant. There may be times of, of sorrow that come from that. There may be times of sorrow in loss in your life. There may be sorrow in sickness. There may be sorrow in other things. But what ought to grieve us and bring sorrow most of all ought to be our sin against God. And yet as Christians who have trusted in Christ, we know that that sorrow is wiped away at the cross and the resurrection. And that there can be fullness of joy that can help us get through any of those other earthly circumstances that bring us sorrow and cause us to mourn because we know that in the end, all things will be made new. And that we will, as we sung earlier, feast in the house of Zion, uh, full of joy. And so that's one of those gospel realities that is ours now, that sorrow for sin will be turned into fullness of joy, but Jesus goes on and gives us several more. Next, he mentions that the gospel turns the, the presence of the Son into access to the Father. The, Jesus was present with the disciples, but in a little while, He would be crucified and buried. And a little while after that, he would be resurrected. And a little while after that, he would be ascended to the right hand of God to no longer be present with them any longer. But everything that he did in those little whiles was done to accomplish uh, us being able to have access to the Father, both in prayer and access to be with the Father forever in heaven. Jesus, then, is the mediator of the one who gives, gives us access there. Look in verse 23 of John 16, where Jesus says, In that day, another time um, note there, like the little whiles, in that day, the day of his resurrection, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is something that Jesus has already encouraged them to do, to ask, and they would receive whatever they needed to be able to abide in Christ to be able to abide in His Word, to be able to abide in His love. Jesus said after giving that, those commands, He said to ask whatever you need and it will be given to you. And Jesus says here, when, when I leave, when I'm crucified and resurrected and eventually when I'm ascended, you have the opportunity, you have access to the Father to ask Him whatever you need to be able to Turn that sorrow into joy. That you would have my joy and that your joy would be full. And so one of the gospel realities for them then is that they had to wait a little while for these things to um, come to fruition. But for us now, these are realities for us in the present. We have access to the Father in the name of the Son. 
We can go. We can speak uh, as, as the blessing that it really is to be able to speak to the God of all creation. And when we do, we don't simply say, God, Lord, uh, we can call him Father, which is why Jesus, when his disciples asked him to teach us how to pray, how did he begin his prayer? How did he begin teaching them how to pray? Our Father. Jesus, the Son, whom God is his heavenly Father, told the disciples that when they were to pray, based on the crucifixion and the resurrection, they were then going to be able to pray that Jesus' Father is now their Father. We can say our Father. We have been adopted into His family by grace through faith. We're now sons and daughters, and we can ask our Heavenly Father anything that we need to be able to turn our sorrow into joy, to be able to give us heavenly vision, vertical vision rather than simply earthly horizontal vision. We can ask Him those things. We ask in His name. Christian, you don't need to uh, have us as pastors pray for you thinking that we could pray better prayers than you or that we have a better access to the Father than you would. That's not true. You, You don't have to pray through someone like Mary or any of the saints that so many Catholics are praying to and through for the Father to be able to hear them. Your prayer, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, Jesus, on the authority of His very Word, says, ask the Father in my name. We don't even have to ask Jesus of these things, He'll say later in the passage. We can ask the Father. That's a gospel reality for you now if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then the encouragement would be for you to trust Christ this morning, to repent of your sins and believe in Him and realize that that reality is yours this morning, that you can have that. Another reason why when Jesus was crucified on the cross, um, the Bible describes that in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God resided and the glory of God resided. There was a curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that the the curtain, the veil, was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that any who would repent and believe in Jesus, in the good news of the gospel of His death, and His resurrection now has access into the Holy of Holies, access with the Father at that point. And what a privilege it is to be able to go to the God of all creation and refer to Him as our Father and knowing that He is a good Father and will give us every good and perfect gift that we need to be able to see our sorrow turned to joy, to help us to be able to abide in Him. These are present gospel realities for us now. Even though the disciples had 
to wait for these things to be accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. They are realities for us now. But a third one. Not only sorrow for sin turned into fullness of joy, not only the presence of the Son turned into access to the Father to ask whatever we need, but thirdly, the Gospel will turn the timid uncertainty of the disciples into confident clarity. Turning timid uncertainty into confident clarity. Look in verse 25. Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus says that when the cross and the resurrection are accomplished, everything that I've told you in figures of speech is going to make sense. Everything that you've heard from me up to this point, though you may have been uncertain in those things of what a little while means, of what going away from us means, and what it meant that you were going to have to to die, uh, what all of that meant is going to be clarified for them. And they would understand these things in a way that they had never understood before. Jesus says in verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, speaking of what we just talked about in verses 23 and 24, you will ask in my name, he says, And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me. You have loved Me and you have believed that I came from God. And I came from the Father and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And so Jesus is Encouraging them to wait well for a little while. For while they may be questioning what a little while means because of Jesus' figures of speech, in just a little while, after the cross and after the resurrection, everything will begin to make sense in their minds. That timid uncertainty that they had would be turned into confident clarity. In fact, we see that played out Um, when Jesus would leave this upper room and He would go out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray um, some more. Um, Jesus would say that His hour had come upon Him and Judas would bring the Roman guards to arrest Jesus. And yes, a few of them were pretty bold in trying to protect Jesus with their swords, but Jesus stopped them from that. And in that moment, the disciples were scattered, and they, they ran away. There was timid uncertainty, if you will, there uh, at that moment. They would watch Jesus be crucified. Um, some of His followers would bury Him in the tomb, and the disciples would be hiding in that upper room unsure of what was to happen until Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to them there. And Jesus would go on, it says in Luke 24, and explain to them all of the things 
that he had told them and all of the things in the Old Testament that they knew that were concerning himself. And it was in that moment where everything that they questioned and everything that they were uncertain about and all of those figures of speech that they didn't understand were made clear by the help of the uh, by the help of Jesus sitting with them and speaking to them the truth uh, of the gospel. The crucifixion and the resurrection helped make everything come to life. And so you see those timid disciples at the cross um, go out in the book of Acts being bold and certain and confident and clear in the gospel, in their preaching and in their living in the book of Acts, being put in prison, um, um, being punished, suffering, sacrificing, preaching, proclaiming, sharing, all of those things because they, they witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it made everything clear for them. And so they then were blessed now to have the clarity that they had then written down for us to be able to read. So, so just go and read the letters of the New Testament and see all of the Old Testament fig, figures of speech and all of Jesus' words then be explained through the crucifixion and the resurrection and how it then was used to bring a different lifestyle, a, a, a different effect in their life, a different culture uh, among their, the people of God. Go read the book of Hebrews and just see how all of the things that they didn't understand then through the cross and the resurrection, they finally understood that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that His blood was better than any other animal's blood. On and on and on, there are these figures of speech that are, are going to be made clear after the crucifixion and, and resurrection. And so I'm thankful to live 2,000 years after the cross for what they had to wait a little while for uh, is a present reality for us now. That any uncertainty that we may have um, regarding the, the things of God's Word, we have not only the, 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 the lenses um, that bring clarity uh, of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we have the rest of the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit to be our helper and guide into all truth, we have 2,000 years of good historical writings on these things, we have a church that can encourage us to have clarity on these things and to walk in a, uh, a different way. And so church, let's take advantage of these things. Let's ask good questions about figures of speech and about what he means by this. And let's go to the Old Testament and let's look, look at it through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. Let's talk with one another about these things. Let's depend upon the Holy Spirit for clarity in the truth when we're uncertain about those things. But let, us give it, let those truths give us a confidence when we go out into the world to be able to share the good news of the gospel with those who have yet to believe it. And if you have yet to believe it, ask the Lord for clarity this morning. 
Ask Him to open your eyes to see the truth in, 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 with new eyes. Ask Him to open up your ears to give you ears to hear that apart from Him, uh, there is no access to the Father. There will continue to be sorrow for sin and no, no joy. And as we'll see in this next section, there will be no peace. Trust Him today to be able to enjoy those gospel realities now. But let me finish with this fourth one. There in that last paragraph of John chapter 16. Um, Jesus, if we can just go backward a, a little bit, in, in verse 12 of chapter 16, Jesus already said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So he said, in a little while, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you'll be able to handle what I'm, uh, more of these truths. Just now, we've seen in a little while, all of those confusing figures of speech would become clear and he would un- they would understand when Jesus would explain to them all of these things. But isn't it just like the disciples to say, ah, I don't want to wait enough with this little while stuff I understand now Jesus even though Jesus just said in that day in that hour in a little while everything will be made clear Uh, the disciple the, the gospel will turn fourthly false assurance into true peace false assurance into true peace Because in verse 29, the disciples almost interrupt him and say, Ah, finally, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know uh, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Essentially, unwilling to wait that little while when the cross and the resurrection, those lenses would make everything clear, when they'd be given the Holy Spirit some 50 days later and would be guided into the truth, they think, oh, we, we got it. We got it. I know. I know what you're It's like that moment when parents, you tell your kids something and they interrupt you. And you're like, I know, I, know, I, know, I know what you're talking about. I know. You don't, have to, you don't even have to finish telling me. It's like the disciples did that. And they say, oh, now we know. Now we know, we know what, this is why we believed in you, Jesus. And Jesus answers them in verse 31. Do you now believe? Rhetorical question. No. You're not, maybe with an immature, uh, limited view they, they believe, but they don't realize yet. And we see that in verse 32. He says, behold, the hour is coming indeed It has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you'll leave me alone. You think you understand these things now? Preemptively? They they have this false assurance thinking that, that they could understand everything apart from the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Jesus says, no. I mean, in just a moment, we're going to be put in a situation and you're going to run away and leave me alone. Right now you're saying, we believe in you. We know you came from God. Now you're finally speaking clearly. And Jesus says, you don't. You're going to leave me alone uh, all by myself to be arrested and crucified in a minute. And so Jesus, to them that evening, is 
is now it's understanding that he turns to the Lord in prayer and prays for these disciples to just wait. Just wait a little while. Let him do what he came to do. Um, But what they had to wait for, we don't because we live on this side of the cross and on this side of the resurrection. And so what Jesus promises um, them in a little while is ours now. And, and just look at Jesus' words. Though they had to wait a little while, another hour, another day for these things, Jesus says that they, they are as good as already done. Even though Jesus hasn't died and hasn't been raised, he, he essentially says he has because he's going to make good on what he came to do. So look at Jesus speaking about something that's going to happen in the future, yet in the present tense. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And there's that, that true peace. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from circumstances. Um, it's not something manufactured in the midst of sorrow that we just fix earthly things and then we're going to have peace. True peace comes from only Him. And Jesus said that He had said these things to them that in Him, in Christ alone, that you may have peace. But He promises them that in the world you will have tribulation. He knows that there will be tribulation because He knows that there's sin in the world. And sin is brought about uh, so many forms of tribulation. Sickness, death, despair, all of those things. Uh, Persecution, suffering, sacrifice, all of those things have come in the world because of sin. Jesus knows that. He's not trying to gloss over that. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. But He says, He commands even. He commands them, take heart. Not just once, but continually. Take heart. Why? For I have overcome the world. Present tense. I have overcome the world, but He is yet to be crucified and resurrected, and yet it was as good as done. There's nothing that would stop Him from accomplishing uh, that fact. And so while they had to wait in the midst of tribulation for the peace that would come in the resurrection, we look backwards at the resurrection as Christians. And that peace is ours right now in Him. These gospel realities of of joy, of access to the Father, of clarity in the truths of God's Word, in the peace that only comes through Christ, those are ours now. And we could just consider Jesus' words back in John 14, verse 27, where He said to them, already, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This peace that Jesus offers, just like the joy that He promised, would characterize the early church. And I just went through and was reading all of the verses this week of peace in the New Testament. 
Peace is mentioned in every New Testament book except 1 John, which I think uh, it's mentioned in other ways other than this, this word. It, it's, it's what characterizes the, the church. Even in the midst of turmoil and tribulation, they're at peace. Why? Because Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And their eternity is secure. And they have joy in the midst of sorrows because they have clarity on the gospel. Uh, they have access to the Father through the mediatorial work of the Son on the cross uh, and through the empty tomb. Uh, they have that peace. This is why Paul introduces most of his letters, grace and peace to you. Uh, It's what describes the new heavens and the new earth uh, because the Lamb has conquered both sin and death. What he says here, he will uh, will speak about in Revelation chapter 5 verse 5. That John was told to weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll that, that the Lord himself had. And so we too are told to, in peace, um, walk in these gospel realities. And so I want to encourage you this morning, us as a church, uh, that as a believer, that We ought to be sorrowful for our sin, especially on a morning like this where we have the opportunity to remember the crucifixion of Christ. And we remember His body that was given and His blood that was shed. We should be sorrowful, mournful, brokenhearted, convicted with the help of the Holy Spirit for the sin in our lives and yet at the same time thankful Um, for the cross and the joy that comes in in the resurrection. We ought to rejoice and enjoy Him forever. We ought to have a joy about us, church, that's different from the, the happiness, the temporary happiness that the world has. In the midst of circumstances, what's going to make us look different than the rest of the world is a joy that is steady, even in the midst of hardship. That's what the world is going to long for. Christian church, we need to go to the Father and ask Him for whatever we need this morning. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's spend time not only confessing our sin and rejoicing in the resurrection, but let's ask Him what we need this day, this week, to continue to abide in Him. And let's take heart in the midst of hard circumstances this week, or if you get bad news this afternoon, um, or in the middle of the week like some of you got last week, let's hold fast to the good news of the gospel and the peace that only He offers. And when we do that, we're taking advantage of the gospel realities now that those disciples had to wait a little while for. But if you have been waiting for those realities in your life for some time, maybe more than a little while, and you've been trying to find those realities in other things of this world, in a relationship or a a wealth or a job or fun or pleasure or whatever it is, and you've been trying to find those realities in something other than the gospel, let me 
encourage you this morning to simply repent of that. Look to Christ uh, who died on the cross, rose from the dead to make those realities yours, but only in Him, through faith in Him. Let me urge you, trust in Him this morning. Let's pray.